Rebecca, what time is it? Uh, like like three o'clock. Like oh, okay, yeah. okay, but it's nearly the shortest day of the year, so I feel like it's practically dark outside, which basically means that it is time to open the Baileys. Shall we open the Baileys? That yes, yeah, I think that's completely acceptable. It okay. is Christmas. It is dark. It is Christmas. It's dark. The weather outside is frightful. Ah, oh, but the microphones are so delightful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cheers to you. Cheers. Cheers. Okay. Well, pour yourself a glass, help yourself to a mince pie, one of the most divisive Christmas treats out there. So many people dislike them these days, and I will never understand it. I like them at Christmas and then really no other time. I could eat them all year round, mm, Mm, happily. Anyway, hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney, Senior Features and Analysis Writer. And I'm Emily Burt, Deputy Editor at Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. Each month, we're delving a little deeper into some of the conversations being had in our community, learning more about exciting innovations and probing some of the issues we're facing. As the year and the decade draws to a close, we share a glass of cheer with Third Sector's editor Andy Hillier and long-standing Last Word columnist Deborah Alcock-Tyler to mull over the highs and lows of the charity world's 2019. Whether you prefer a tearjerker or a barrel of laughs, editorial assistant Natasha Abramson and Emily will be joining Click Sergeants Adam Petrie and the founder of Brand by Me, Colette Phillips, to talk about what makes a brilliant Christmas advert. And Alyssa Hall, head of programmes at charity Pilot Light, will be talking to Rebecca about a new mentoring programme that offers funding and professional support to up to 20 charities. So that's all to come. Cheers. Cheers. And so it's time for the Third Sector Podcast Year Roundup. And we are so pleased to be joined by Andy Hillier, who is the editor of Third Sector, and Deborah Alcock-Tyler, the magazine's celebrated last word columnist and chief executive of the DSC, to talk about 2019. We've all got a Baileys, so I'm going to say cheers to everyone around the table. Happy festive seasons. It's been a busy year for the podcast and for charities on a local, national and international scale, covering everything from controversial advertising to Extinction Rebellion to Ed Aspel's unusual tattoo. It is unusual, yes. And so what we're going to do is we're all going to go around and we're just going to talk about what we consider our biggest success stories for the sector or the biggest challenges of the year. So, Andy, it's been busy. You've been running a magazine. Um, what would you, you know, kick us off with? Well, I mean, I think actually there have been quite a few big successes, um, some of which have sort of gone under the radar. Um, if you look at, say, going into the election and fracking and Friends of the Earth, I mm-hmm. think that's been a tremendous achievement for, for, for Friends of the Earth and other environmental charities. We interviewed Rob Wilson, the former charities minister, a couple of years ago, and he said in that article about how the charity sector should get behind fracking and support the government and now we have uh, an election where actually the government have rode back on that and that's all been really because of the campaigning by by, by charity so that's absolutely fantastic there have been lots of highlights I'm sure uh, all the charity sector jumped for joy when they saw the RNLI and yep. what it did absolutely. when the uh, national newspapers came calling this time round instead of running for the hills it 
basically said, uh, no, uh, we're really proud of the fact that we support international uh, work abroad and we're going to shout about it. And actually they turned what was um, a negative into a real positive. No one knows about this more than Rebecca around the table, who obviously yep. covered the RNLI for our relaunched issue. We hope you've all enjoyed the relaunched issue. Rebecca, what was your take on that whole experience? I think talking to Isla Reynolds, who's the strategic media manager there, who was kind of behind a lot of um, what was going on, I think talking to her, you realise, although she had all the experience to go, this is what we should do, and it was a brave move, you don't realise afterwards, because obviously they turned it around into such a positive and mm. they you know they had a, a massive uplift in donations i yeah talking to her you realize they didn't know that at the time like it was such a risk to sit there and press a button which is basically telling the daily mail they're wrong and we're not going to apologize and screw everybody that says they're going to cancel their donation because of this like yeah and and you know and the fact that it was hard work for them that she was sort of saying that she had to really make some decisions about because it, it went on for four days really the, mm. the kind of the most intense bit of it and she was just having to make sure that like her instinct was to pile everybody in to help but actually to make sure they had the energy to keep going and just yeah. the rate of pace on social media as well you mm. remember we had Kirsty Marins on the podcast back in I think it was June talking about the NSPCC and the NSPCC had a social media crisis of course and did not do at all well out of that um, she said you know the rate at which things unfold when they're on Twitter when they're on Facebook is, is incredibly hard to keep up with so that was um, extraordinary resilience I think on their part as well very good. Deborah, do you have anything to nominate? A success story, a challenge? What's been on your mind this year? Well, actually, it kind of relates a little bit to the Ireland Life story because I think that, you know, this year uh, charities have been really quite muted, sort of mm -hmm. quite quiet. I mean, I hurl up and down the country all the time talking to charities. I mean, I've been all over the place. I've been to Liverpool, Doncaster, you know, Birmingham, Sheffield, you name it. I've been there this year. And I walk into rooms of people and they look defeated. Really? Yeah, they look. Yeah. they sort of look tired and they look a bit hunched and... And, of course, by the time I've finished with them, they're coming out going, like, right, we're going to march down to the local authority and duff up the councils. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I think stories like the RNLI story is such an important one because when you see them getting it right and you see that actually... If you know you're right, just say you're right. Don't duck and hide, which is maybe a bit of, you know, what's been some of the mistakes the charities have made actually leading up to now. But this whole sort of thing is like, let's keep quiet, let's not defend ourselves, we might get into trouble, it's all too difficult. And I think we need to be brave. And because also, what are we actually scared of? If you look at any of the negative stories that have gone on, in the sector, you will see that the charities involved do absolutely take a dip mm. in donations, mm. but it's incredibly short term and then it all lifts back up again. Yeah. You know, and so, so we're afraid for what? And, and I, I mean, Deborah and I have been around for a while now. Oi. <laughs> <laughs> More Deborah than me. Oh, oh, oh. It's very unchivalrous. Uh, I mean, what's been really good about, uh, about that, I mean, we've had conversations down the years about the need for a charity defence council and all these sort of separate entities that are needed but actually what was really good about this was one organization one individual charity took the lead and then lots of other separate charities came in behind them and said we stand with you and it was a great moment i thought for the charity sector and we need more of that in i think it really was actually they, we did it in fairness we did it with oxfam as well when the oxfam story went mm -hmm. down an awful lot of charities were like hold on a sec you know that this isn't entirely fair and um, and it is a real pity that it's human nature, of course, but that the negative stories run and run and run and the positive ones sort of disappear, really. Mm. So. And there have been, you know, we, there, it has been a challenging year. 
there have been challenges that the the oh, sectors faces. It's been a knackering year. And Deb, you haven't held back in your columns for us in kind of sharing sharing your views on things. What do you think of uh, some of the biggest challenges have been? The negative messaging is the. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why all these people I'm going around and seeing look so defeated because it wears you down when you're constantly being told. You know, good. You you chase after old ladies and bash them over the head and steal the money. You know that you're irresponsible. <laughs> you don't care about child abuse. That you know you you turn a blind eye to sex offenders. You know, it's like it, I think that's been the biggest sort of challenge that charities have faced. And it's well, I've already said it's kind of muted them. Like one of the things that outraged me, the many things that outraged me this year was when Rob Wilson openly came. I think he, it was um, in an interview with you actually when he came out and said he knew that the Olive Cook story wasn't true. He knew that the way in which it was being presented to the world wasn't right but he used it anyway because it was a way to get what he wanted done and I just think why wasn't more of that made at the time and now I look back I think ah it's the beginning of it's okay to lie in politics and it's okay to manipulate to get your own way and I began there <laughs> just to add there. some fact checking and I think that was yeah. Radio 4 he said it in but we covered it oh that's that was, yeah. yeah so yeah. he said it there and then you wrote fact about fact it yeah. Yeah. yeah I think you know we have seen a bit of misinformation but also on that, that that people don't remember the Olive Cook story actually right. if you you know people say you write about charities and you say, okay, well, there's been a lot of reform in the last few years. You remember the Olive Cook story, and people are like, no, no, yeah. yeah, what's that? People yeah. move on very quickly, and yeah. and, and uh, as, as Deborah was alluding to earlier, well, the, the studies that we've done show that actually, when things are front of mind, they are a real problem. And actually, this picks up on a point I'm sure Deborah would love to make about about some of the studies that've been around public trust, because mm. what we tend to see is actually the point at which those studies are taking place is generally at the point at which something big has just happened and therefore it's front and centre of the uh, of mind when the public are being asked. Mm. But when you move that forward a year on, you actually see levels of public trust going back up compared with where they were the year before. I mean, you, you can't rest on your laurels with this, but... No. But um, you've heard me say this a million times. Yeah. That those, those surveys of public trust and confidence are nonsense. They're absolutely meaningless and pointless paying any attention to because, you know, if you ask any... Like, if you, and if you even look at the way they're constructed, you know, you actually look at how the questions are asked. You know, people say things like, um, or, you know, do you trust... Do you donate to charities? Yes, no. If you don't, why not? Because I don't trust charity chief executives, I don't like their pay or whatever. Nobody ever says because I'm a tight-fisted, tight ward and I don't care the stuff about my fellow citizen. And actually half the time the people who are being negative about charities, they're never going to give to charity anyway. That's why I think the RNLI were absolutely banged to rights, they said. You know, in fact, you know, there's a very good chance that people said I'm going to stop my donation, probably weren't even donating well, anyway. I did ask them that and they said we don't want to talk about figures too much yeah. because it's still very much in yeah. flux, which is fair. But I sort of said, look, was it anything on the scale that yeah. you might have got from a casual viewer yeah. looking on that side? Sunday morning yeah. on Twitter and she was like no no n- no we did not lose that number of direct debits so probably yeah. they were not yeah things blow up yeah, yeah. and it's, it's that it's that um thing isn't it where people jump on you have people it's like that um that story with Jonathan Ross and um Russell Brand mm. when they they, they, mm. they you know they did that horrible prank on Radio 2 and then all of a sudden only, I think the, the the BBC only got like a really small number of complaints in the beginning but once the story got out they got more complaints than they had listeners to the programme yeah. I mean yeah. I think there is something about people jumping on the land wagon but I'm always like don't be scared to yeah. charity like, just I mean I it. this isn't charity relevant but I enormously enjoyed the fact that Ofcom have said to the Conservative Party uh, yes. no the Channel 4 is not in breach of the you know 
know, the regulations because by putting a block of ice. Yes. Yeah. And your thing that was, you know, that was a, a fairly out there move by that broadcaster, and, and it paid off for them because yeah. right? it was a great image, and and um, they didn't get into trouble for it. So maybe throw caution yeah. to the wind is a message to take into the new year. And also, there's something very much because you asked about the big stories of mm. the year, and actually, for me. It's not the big stories. It's never the big stories in the sector. Because you can always point to some fabulous campaign that everybody gets mm-hmm. really excited about. But the real stories are the stories of the charities that are just getting on with it, grindingly every single day, challenging their, you know, serving their beneficiaries and all the rest of it. I mean, you, as you know, I'm an ambassador for Africa Advocacy Foundation. I'm an ambassador for women and girls affected or, you know, risk of female genital mutilation. And this is a really small little charity, under half a million, based in Lewisham in South uh, London, yeah. who has who have, with that tiny amount of money, that volunteers and a really small number of staff managed to promote the Sacred Bodies campaign, get campaigning, get general awareness across the whole, you know, country and in other countries about this issue. And they have very little money, very little recognition, never... And they are typical of most of the sector. They're mm. typical of those people out there who are just getting on with it. There's no big dramatic story, there's no big dramatic success, but what there are mm. is young women who have been able to be healed mm. or young women who whose families have suddenly realised that, you know what they're actually threatening to do to their child isn't happening. I mean, you know, every one young girl who's prevented from FGM is a massive success. For me, those are the big stories. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. Because that's basically what the sector's about. And if we could cover them every day, we absolutely would. I I, I mean, on a a, a local level as well, I think one of the most uplifting stories I've heard this year was um, from my hometown... And there's a, a local children's hospice called Acorns Children's Hospice. Yes. And Acorns runs three children's hospices across the West Midlands, uh, one of which was under threat in Warsaw, my hometown. Now, Warsaw's one of the most deprived parts of the country. So this is an, an outfit that's very good at running children's hospices, but it can't make the one in the most deprived part work. Uh, and that, for me, was really incredibly frustrating. But then also they've turned that situation around now and they've managed to bring in about half a million pounds worth of funding. And it's a great local success story where the community have got really behind it and turned around what looked like it was going to be an awful scenario into something that actually is is quite a big success. Mm. Does anyone have an incident they would like to nominate for Charity Clanger of 2019? I do. Okay. I do. I do. This is my this so this is my favorite charity story of the year. It's incredibly close to my heart. Um and I've been thinking about it ever since we uh first uh, covered it, which I think was back in June or July, which was the story of the Garden Museum who in July had to increase their funding appeal for a redevelopment project um after they accidentally dug up not one, not two, but three archbishops of Canterbury. <laughs> <laughs> Again, they were trying to do a great thing. They were trying to put um disabled ramps into the this museum which they run and the workers were lifting up concrete slabs to do the redevelopment and they exposed a staircase to a hidden vault which contained more than 30 coffins and uh, more than four of those had former archbishops inside them so they had to increase their funding target by 300,000 and I think they met it actually because by selling such a great story (laughs) they didn't What's the going um, for an archbishop? Yeah I mean who can say I just think it's a really valuable reminder that sometimes you can mess things up at work you know sometimes you email the wrong person and sometimes you 
excavate the chief overseer of the King James Bible. You know, <laughs> accidents happen. Accidents happen. And if we go into it with a happy heart, then, you know, ultimately things probably will turn out. And I mean, it's all not right. as bad as the person who lost three or four archbishops of Canterbury. Yes, right? that's, that's true. That's, misplaced. Somebody them misplaced those back people. in the day. Well, actually, the, the funniest story for me isn't funny at all. Yeah. Actually, and that's, the, you know, that's that trustee who murdered that other trustee oh, God. Over, yeah. over the dispute yes. in the charity. I yeah. forget the name of the charity now. It's not funny. Not a funny died. story. That's awful. Yeah. It's absolutely story. awful. But of course, I do a lot of work with boards and I, you know, I know quite a lot about these things. And I'm telling you, I'm surprised it hasn't happened more often because you know, yeah. people have this kind of view of boards of trustees as being really kind of like these you know logical calm yeah. sort of you know and actually they're often full of raging passion and fury i mean the, the arguments you witness on boards of trustees so not funny at all horrific but you know really not that surprising it did feel like something out of hot fuzz yes. didn't it it's like a vegetable yeah. growing project as well and yeah, yeah yes. there was there was something kind of yeah slightly and take what you will from it but it is one of the most read stories on the third sector website yeah. for this quarter i think it is it yeah. has performed phenomenally well hasn't yeah. it Andy? it's yeah. trustees yeah. looking for ideas that's what it is <laughs> Listen, we do not know. I've had a number of people contact me about that story, yeah. uh, basically alluding to the fact that um, they're surprised something like that hadn't happened yeah. on their trust. We do not oh. endorse murder. And so to, to wrap up, the year winds down to a close. We have got a new year and a new decade coming in. We've got a new government, allegedly, next week. Any big predictions for this year? And what do you think charities need to be thinking about as they head into 2020? I think charities don't need to worry, is the honest truth. Because, again, if you step up into the bigger picture... Charities will survive perfectly well. There'll be the odd one that dies next year and there'll be new ones that grow, but we'll hang around because charities are enormously resilient. You know, if they take the money away, we tend to hang on in there anyway and find a way to serve our beneficiaries another way. Somebody said to me, you know, how do charities need to adapt to the changing environment? Like, do you know... Not really, because yes, you like things digital fundraising for something. I mean, the mm. surface stuff you need to change, mm. but fundamentally, you need to raise funds. The way in which you do it might change, but you're going to need to raise money. And fundamentally, human beings want to care for and love and support each other. And so, you're always going to have people with willing hands, willing hearts, and open wallets who come to help your cause. So, I think we've got to stop worrying about all the Frifery stuff, go absolutely right back to the basics. And the reality is, whatever happens in the election, whatever kind of God knows what shower of a government we're going to get next year moving <laughs> forward, the sector will survive. Yes. Now, we survive governments and home secretaries and prime ministers and, you know, we'll get by. centuries we will absolutely get by. A great Christmas message. Andy, any final thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I suppose... I think there's a lot of charities that are worried about income at the moment and income growth. And I think that is going to be a real challenge next year. Uh, what we've seen this year is particularly with the larger charities, they've struggled to maintain their previous levels of income. And I think it'll be interesting to see if people are adapting the way that they are raising money going into 2020. But like Deborah, they, they, they are going to survive. It's just I, I, I do wonder what is going to happen with that bigger charity model. Mm. And I think that also maybe lead to more mergers. We've started to see some mergers, mm -hmm. but there's been talk of more. So yeah. let's I watch this although, space. Although can I just say yeah. something about mergers? Yeah. The interesting yeah. thing about mergers is if you go back and actually look what happens, every time a charity merges with a smaller charity, very often, it goes along for a bit and then another charity pops up to replace the one that merged. You see mm. it all you saw it in the blind you see it in the blind sector, for example, where the RNIB you know, scooped up lots of charities out of good cause, and then all of a sudden you get other little charities popping up. So, wait and know. see. Do it well. Yes. Right, Andy, Deborah, that was brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
Well, it is absolutely great to have Third Sector's editorial assistant Natasha Abramson on mic with us today. How are you doing, Natasha? I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm glad it's um, only a few weeks away until Christmas. Oh, I mean, we're all so glad. And of course, you know, as we roll in towards Christmas, we are seeing everywhere the Christmas ads. And even if you are a Scrooge of the first degree, I defy anyone not to have their heart touched by a really well-delivered Christmas advert. With retailer John Lewis allegedly spending a whopping £8 million on its 2018 Christmas advert, you don't have to look far to see organisations throwing themselves into the festive spirit and using it to tap into their audience's emotions. And this is not just big private companies. After all, who doesn't know the phrase, a dog is for life, not just for Christmas? Done well, a festive advert and an appeal can have real staying power. So joining us to talk about what it takes to deliver a great charity Christmas ad are Adam Petrie, Associate Director of Brand and Marketing Communications at Click Sargent and Colette Phillip, founder of consultancy Brand By Me. So do you have a favourite Christmas advert? Definitely ours. You're, well, you have to say that, don't you? Absolutely. Colette, what about you? Um, for me, hands down this year, it's got to be IKEA. I haven't seen yeah, that one. So unexpected and insightful. And the Grime soundtrack is just incredible. Oh, I have so to check really, that out. Really, really, that's my favourite. Okay, brilliant. I'm a sucker for John Lewis, but then I'm yeah. a fairly basic person. Um, okay, so Adam, you talked about your advert. Um, and it is one that is perhaps a little more sombre than you'd normally expect from a Christmas ad. Um, the Click Sergeant Christmas advert this year focuses on six-year-old Matilda, who has been living with cancer for the past three years. And in the ad, her mother explains difficulties of having a child with cancer. She talks about the costs, the practicalities and the knock-on effect for family members and she talks about what it's like to spend Christmas with a child in hospital and the difference that the charity has made to them. So what made you decide to go for something a little more hard-hitting? Yeah, we have gone hard-hitting this year. We've effectively cancelled Christmas. That was, oh, the way no. we, yeah. that was the way we talked about it internally. I think for us, the reason we went hard-hitting was it, it brings home the reality of what cancer's like at Christmas. Our brand works really hard to not portray uh, children with cancer as vulnerable victims, mm -hmm. and I think we do that really well. But one of the dangers of that is we trivialise cancer and we forget to show of how disruptive cancer can be and how it can completely spoil all the lovely family special moments that you get and Christmas is one of those times where you get those special moments you know decorating the tree together and um, bringing everyone around the table for a big Christmas dinner we wanted to show that actually cancer wants to rob that Christmas magic and to show that that's the reality for a lot of families. And can you speak to the sort of response that you've had from that at all? Yeah, I mean, it, for us, Christmas is a is a fundraising campaign. Mm. Um, it's too early at this stage to to sort of look at the financial results, but the response that we've had is has been really strong. Um, we had let's call it healthy debate internally about how far we wanted to push it in terms of the hard hitting nature. But I think one of the things that has allowed us to do as much as we have on that is because it's authentic. We we made sure that while we were coming up with all these ideas about okay, let's think of all these Christmas traditions. And, and ruin them. There were some that were really powerful, but they just didn't feel very real. Mm. So we needed to make sure that we kept it as authentic as possible so that we weren't just being sensationalist for the, for the sake of it. And mm. one of the best moments of the filming was when one of the mums came up to us during filming and said that she was transported back, not in a negative way, but transported back to when her child was in hospital over Christmas because the scene that she had done, which was um, putting a stocking at the end of her hospital bed rather than at home, 
was exactly what she did mm. when she was in hospital. Uh, and that, that, that is very real. Now, now, Colette, obviously, branding and authenticity, this is this is what you do. What do you think are the key things that a Christmas ad needs to, to hit in order to be effective in that way? Uh, do you think there are any risks in going a little more sombre? I don't think so. I think it's something that's a very, maybe sometimes, um, for the reasons that Adam said, a very uncomfortable um, conversation to have internally. Mm. I used to be um, brand director at um, charities before I, I set up my own consultancy. And I think there is a fear and a nervousness. But actually, if it's done well, mm. as Adam said, um, with authenticity and real insight. So I think that's absolutely key, is talking to, you have the people that you help have been touched by these issues at Christmas and demonstrating their reality if it's done well, if it's done authentically, and if it's done in a way that inspires people to act off the back of what they've seen. Honestly, Christmas is a time for reflection, compassion and giving, as well as all the sparkly jumpers Mm -hmm. and good food and all the rest of it. And I actually think that it's charities that have permission to really demonstrate the reality of Christmas for people that are being touched Mm. by the very real and big issues, such as, um, you know, having a child that has cancer. And I don't think people will resent a charity telling the story of the reality of that. And to both of you, what do charities need to consider when putting together a Christmas ad? Are there any major do's and don'ts? I think, as, as we talked about, I think the biggest thing for me... There are about five big things, so I'll try and summarise them. <laughs> but I think one of the, the ones is thinking about the relevance of Christmas to your cause. Because, of course, lots of charities do Christmas campaigns um, and they may or may not be on TV. But when you're on TV and competing with the big, heartwarming, mm. big brand ads, it's really important there's a relevance there. And that's why I think the Click Sergeant um, ad works so well. It is an opportunity... <laughs> an opportunity and a an, a space to really evoke real emotion. So, you know, Ikea making us laugh, John um, Lewis make us feel very heartwarming, actually very beats John Lewis this year, but that's another story. Yeah. Um, and um, I think, you know, evoking these powerful um, emotions like compassion, even outrage, mm. warmth, are really important if you can then provide a way for people to sort of then take action off the back of it. So for Mm. me, yes, evoke compassion, make it real. As Adam talked about, I think it's really important. And the other thing, really push in amongst the internal discussions Mm. and nervousness for great creative, because you're having to go head to head with the best ads of the year. So you can't be doing the tired old charity cliches. So I think they're my do's and don'ts really. Adam, what do you think? Yeah, I'd agree with everything that Claire said. Um, I think, yeah, authenticity is really, really important, um, especially if you're going to have some internal challenges to to be able to say, look, this is real. This is what Mm. the people we support go through. I think that you get a lot more uh, grace to do things when it's real. I think content that stands out is really important as well. You know, as Colette's alluded to, Christmas is such a competitive time. It you is. Know, externally, outside of the sector, you know, people are asking you to, you know, where do you want to do your big food shop? Where do you want to buy all those presents, that you, those rubbish presents that you wouldn't buy at any other time of the year? So you've got that competition. But then charity is also competitive at Christmas because throughout the year there are, there are awareness months and they spread their campaigns across the year. But most charities do something at Christmas. So there's so much competition you actually have to 
think about how your content is going to stand out outside of the others. So I think that's really important. The other big thing for us, and obviously there's never a perfect ad, is is learn from previous years. Right. So what we've done this year has been, you know, based on some of the learnings from from the previous year, which was again well received. But you know, there were some things that we said actually that didn't quite work. And I'm absolutely got no doubt that 2020s will be based on stuff that we look back in mm. a few months' time and say we didn't get that right this year. So I think always trying to learn always from learning. how you've done it. And we, that's the message we can all take into the new year, I think. Wonderful. Well, Adam, Colette, thank you so much for joining us today. It was brilliant to have you on. Thanks very thank much. You thank very you. Lights Small Charity Leaders Insight Report 2019 found that more than half of small and medium-sized charities listed the ability to build partnerships with the commercial sector as a top skills need. It's coming up to Christmas and many of the big retailers will have adverts that involve a charity partnership, while other companies will be looking to give Christmas donations. So I'm joined by Alyssa Hall, Head of Programmes at Pilot Light, who's going to tell me how to make the most of this. So yeah, how can small and medium-sized charities try to attract that kind of support from Mm. companies? So that's a really great question, Rebecca. I guess at Pilot Light we really believe in bringing the charities and the business sector together, the corporate sector together, really with the purpose of um, advancing the work and the role of charities, which is all about helping people you know, as much as they can, help help charities to help more people more effectively, essentially. And I think it is an interesting and unique opportunity in the calendar year where it's the festive season. And I guess we would really encourage charities to think about forming long-term relationships with the corporate sector. We think about that notion of giving back for corporate partners. At Pilot Light, we believe uh, we support them to do that through providing their skills, their experience, their expertise to support charities to become effective and sustainable. So I, I guess for us, the message to charities is about take advantage as much as you can of the <laughs> festive and joyful spirit, um, but really think about it in the term of developing a long-term relationship. So I'm really sorry for this, but a corporate partnership is for life, not just for Christmas. Indeed, yes, absolutely. That should be on a T-shirt or something, <laughs> Rebecca. Um, but look, I think it's a really key thing because it is about kind of sustainability, you know, long-term. So think about how you can really develop a long-term relationship. Um, so the report itself was put together to promote the launch of the Western Charity Awards, which is a grant scheme run by Pilot Light. So I know that's something that a lot of small and medium sized charities are very keen to hear about. Um, So uh, yeah, what's on offer? Yeah, look, at Pilot Light, we're really always so excited at this time of year. So we've been working in partnership with the Garfield Western Foundation for six years to deliver the Western Charity um, Awards. And there's lots on offer, lots of exciting things we think on offer. The Charity Awards started, as I said, about six years ago. They started with a very small number of charities in a, in one particular geographical area and year on year they've grown. So I guess what's on offer is a year of support from Pilot Light. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But a year of support from us. There's also unrestricted cash bonus or a cash contribution of 6,500. And that's really just to support the charity um, to work with Pilot Light in that process. There's also access to a local network of charities. So we look for 20 winners in total. So there's access to that kind of the other winners in your pool. There's also a range of connect sessions, which really for us are around bringing those charities together to really share, network and learn from each other. And I think the other really interesting point that we would say 
is it's an opportunity to raise the profile of that charity um, mm. and really benefit from being a winner, which has a real multiplier effect, I think, um, individually for the people involved, but also for the for the charity and their and their profile. So it's a really exciting time for us. And so, yeah, so what does this support from Pilot Light entail? So Pilot Light have been around for 15 years, over 15 years. So we're an established charity ourselves. Uh, and we've got lots of experience really in bringing, as I said earlier, bringing the um, business leaders and business sector together with charities to really to help them to be uh, as effective and sustainable as they can be moving forward. So we do that through with the Pilot Light program. We will be doing that through partnering four of our business mentors we call Pilot Lighters. Um, and we link them to a, to a charity. So each charity gets their own team of Pilot Lighters. And they work together over a 12-month period, really looking at the future sustainability of the organisation. So it's very much around the Pilot Lighters coaching and mentoring that charity leader to be as effective and sustainable as they can in, can in the long term. And so which charities are eligible and how can they apply and find out more? So the be- the very best way is to go to the um, the website. It's very easy to apply. So it's uh, westerncharityawards.org. It's got all of the information, but just in brief, you need to be a registered charity working in the fields of welfare, youth and community. Uh, you do need to have at least one full-time paid uh, staff member, an income of less than $5 million a year and provide direct services to beneficiaries. So that's kind of it in brief, but again, really encourage you to go to the website. It's really easy to apply. Um, and the other thing on the website is there's information about each of the winners over the last number of years and great films and testimony, you know, kind of testimony around the benefit of participating, really. So it's a really good place to learn not only how to apply, but what's been the benefit for other organisations. Fantastic. Well, Alyssa Hall, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. We'll be back in 2020, but until then, we'd encourage you to relax and while away those long nights by tuning in to the Third Sector podcast on your favourite podcast app to be the first to know about it. Thank you again to Natasha Abramson, Andy Hillier, Deborah Alcock-Tyler, Adam Petrie, Colette Phillip and Elisa Hall for joining us. To the producer, Anushka Tate for Rethink Audio and to you for listening. From all of us at Third Sector, have a wonderful festive season and a very happy new year. 